Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. Rich Smelter, historian, podcaster, and author of multiple gridiron books, including the USC Trojans Football Encyclopedia, joins us to chat about one of the greatest coaching eras in football, when John McKay roamed the sidelines of Southern Cal. The history of Trojan football is coming up in a moment with Rich Smelter. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes with PigskinDispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pigpen, your portal to positive football history. And we are going to have a great episode today because we're going to talk about some USC college football, the Trojans, and in particular, one era from a very good coach that many of us remember uh, coaching on the sidelines, and that is John McKay. And to talk about this great coach, we have a historian that's covered the USC Trojans football, as well as many other aspects. And he's a friend of the show has been on uh, a few times now. And that is Rich Smelter. Uh, Rich Smelter, welcome back to the pig pen. Darren, thank you so much. Now, normally when I'm on your show, I always like to say, hey, I'm ready to jump into the pig pen. And I am ready to jump into the pig pen. However, I want it to be a little clean today because I have on a USC football shirt and I respect it way too much to get it dirty. Okay, well, you know, I can remember seeing some of those those battles there at USC when they had the grass field, and I can remember some muddied up uh, uh, play there. So, all right, then what had, the heck, you know? They had they had a pig pen, and probably a lot back in the era we're going to be talking about. You know what? If it's good enough for the for the LA Coliseum, I'm jumping in that pig pen with you now. The shirt's going to okay, get dirty. All right, all right, this will be the the LA Coliseum version of the pig pen. You got it. <laughs> okay. We we haven't talked to you for a little bit. What uh, kind of projects you have going on? Uh, I know you mentioned earlier you might have a, a couple podcasts coming up. Maybe if you'd like to throw those out there so the audience might be able to listen to those uh, here soon. Sure. Right now I'm on the air. Um, well, not right this second because <laughs> it would be impossible. But um, I I work for uh, Raiders Fan Radio, and um, it's the Murph Smith Fan Cave, and I have a show called Silver and Black Flashback which is about 15 to 20 minute weekly episode dedicated to nothing but the glorious history of the Raiders, whether they were in Oakland, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, they, you know, there's only one location and that's in everyone's heart that loves the Raiders. So I have that show and I'm also setting up one to do on USC football called uh, Trojan Tales, which should be coming out soon. And also well, that, something on Hollywood. Okay. Well, Hey, that's a, uh... Sounds very appropriate, the second one there, to what our discussion will be tonight. And, you know, Ra- Raiders fans, that's a, a great football one. And, you know, your Hollywood uh, episodes will be some great stuff, too. Now, uh, will people, uh, can people find those on any uh, podcast platform and just uh, do a search? Right. Right now, if you just punch in uh, Raiders Fan Radio 
and you'll see like my episodes on there, but it'll be flashback. It, you know, I can say silver and black flashback, but I can't have it in print. <laughs> there was a little something, you know, to do with the, the Raiders owning the copyright to it. So it'll just say flashback on it. And you'll see all the episodes. Uh, there's 39 episodes total right now. And um, it's just a, I, I have such a great time with it because you could add a little bit of humor to it and all. And everyone knows that the Raiders' history is a little colorful. So there's quite a few colorful stories. As far as the USC podcast and the Hollywood one, I do not have those up yet. I'm in the process of getting all that set up. So hopefully that should come out fairly soon. Okay. Well, keep in touch, and I will make sure uh, we'll let the listeners know when those come out, too. And uh, maybe uh, you send me some links. We'll put them into the show notes of this podcast for, for your, your Raiders uh, podcast to make sure, you know, in case people don't have a pencil or something, we can get the information to them, get you hooked up that way, too. Great. I also have one. I, I have a writing project that I'm doing. Uh, I have a thing called the Championship Diary Series, and it's a just a quick-hitting book in regards to, you know, different Super Bowls and all. Of course, the first one that I did was Super Bowl 18 when the uh, Los Angeles Raiders just destroyed the then Washington Redskins in that Super Bowl. So it's it's a, it's a whole potpourri of what went on that year and uh, just incredible, you know, the building of the team, the biographies and all. And hopefully that should be coming out in the very, very near future. I just have to get it all tweaked up and get it, you know, all, all formatted and all. Um, so I'm looking a lot forward to that. So I don't have an actual date because I'm self-publishing it myself under my own label. But uh, that, hopefully that should be coming out soon. Well, that's something else to look forward to. But I guess uh, maybe a good segue into that. You you have a book out that you wrote, uh, the USC Trojans Football Encyclopedia. You wrote uh, probably, oh gosh, almost a decade ago now, it seems, I guess. Right, uh, 2014. Uh, 2014, yes. 2014, okay. So, you know, and I know you, you did a lot of work, and I'm sure you had uh, quite a bit about uh, Coach McKay in there. So I think that's uh, real appropriate we get to talk about him this evening. Uh, Coach McKay was my, he was my all-time favorite college coach and you know there was a you know to get a fancy word there's a plethora of college coaches that were you know incredible but john mckay i saw a game when i was a little kid uh back in 72 when anthony davis was running up and down with you know where it was tailback university there and it was just you know the glitz and the glam of the la coliseum when they were playing ucla and USC, of course, won the game, and I was just hooked on it. And I tried to get everything I could find on USC football. And, of course, at that time, John McKay was, you know, he was nearing the end of his tenure at USC at that time. But I, where he had a book called uh, Coach's Story. I picked up that, and John McKay on football. And anything I could find, you know, was Sports Illustrated, anything. I was just, I was voracious when it came to trying to find all this stuff. And um, I just... I just fell in love with that, and the man was awesome. I mean, he was, he was, you know, he he had he had his flaws too. You know, they, a lot of people said, you know, he was he was cocky, self-absorbed, everything like that. Great sense of humor, however, and he was record, he was regarded as the, the quipper with a lot of his great senses of you know sense of humor. Of course, when you're winning that much, you can have a good sense of humor. Right, yeah, that's uh, that's for sure. Uh, but don't tell uh, Bill Belichick that because maybe there's nothing he doesn't have the sense of humor. Maybe his own his own dark humor. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> exactly. Maybe behind closed doors, I'm sure he's a real belly <laughs> real belly tickler. But not like Coach McKay, who had a little bit of personality to him. I guess is probably a good way to say it. 
Right. A great story on Coach McKay was he was already uh, he was already out of USC. Well, actually, the one story that he had at USC was you know when it was tailback university where the backs were running out of the I formation and they were collecting Heisman trophies, you know, like crazy. Uh, John McKay, uh, one of the, one of the guy, one of the reporters, uh, in Los Angeles was saying when, when OJ Simpson was running the ball, they said, you know, geez, he's running 30 to 35 times a game. Don't you think that's a lot? And with a stoic look on his face, he looked at the reporter and said, well, why? The ball's not heavy. You know, and, <laughs> and when he was in the pros, he was uh when he was coaching Tampa Bay and they had like a 26 game losing streak over 2 years and the one reporter looked at him and said you know how do you feel about your team's execution i'm trying not to laugh when i say this. how do you feel about your team's execution and he just looked with again with a straight face and goes oh i'm all for it <laughs> just, oh boy hey, great great delivery you know great delivery he could have been a stand up comedian a deadpan stand up comedian but he could have been one nonetheless Oh, boy, it's master of the one-liners there. He has a couple zingers there, that's for sure. Oh, he was popular with the, you know, he was popular with the Hollywood crowd. Because USC, even though the Rams were there at that time, uh, USC truly, I truly believe, owned that city at that time. I mean, you know, because, you know, you could have football fans that come into, you know, you know, uh, you know generations follow other generations to fandom, so to say. But with USC, you know, you had so many people that, that went to USC, and they became fans, and their their families became fans. So it just grew and grew and grew. And, you know, the, that, that place was sold out all the time. You know, you're talking over 100,000 people watching those games. And USC owned that owned that, that, that city for so long. And all, definitely during McKay's time, you know, four national championships, four Heisman Trophy winners, uh, absolutely, just amazing. You know, 127, 40 and 8 record. He had a 749 winning percentage. I mean, it was absolutely amazing. Hmm. Well, before I guess we get into his more of his career there, why don't we talk a little bit about his background? Where, where did he? Where was he? John McKay. How did he become the football coach at USC? Well, he was from West Virginia originally, and uh, then he. During World War II, he served as a tail gunner on a B-29, and then he went off to college. He played at Oregon, and then he got into the coaching ranks after that. And then he got brought into USC in the later 50s by the coach Don Clark. Now, here's an interesting thing, though, Darren. They had a coaching staff when he first got there. You had John McKay on the staff, and you're going to know this name. A lot of people might not, but I know you'd know him, Mel Hine from the old New York Giants. And Mel Hine, I mean, he was on that staff, and he was the National League, uh, I'm sorry, NFL MVP in 1938 as a center. He also played linebacker, but you know, he, he was amazing, you know, as far as a football player at that time, to get the MVP being a lineman and a linebacker. And you also had, which really was amazing, was Al Davis, who wound up being the owner of the Raiders, and, you know, incredible football man in his own right. So he was on that staff, and there's John McKay. The wow. amazing part is they didn't have a lot of success at that time. So Don Clark got fired, and then John McKay took over. And, of course, it looked a little bleak for McKay at first. You know, I mean, he he did not do well at first. And uh, let me see over here. As a matter of fact, you know, he, he had he had a record of a 4-6 and six record in his first year, and then he had a 4-5 and five record. Four, five, and one record in 19, 
61, but unbeknownst to everybody, and you know, in the reporters and all naturally were ready to, you know, hang him from the goalpost, but he was stockpiling all these players, all these players, and then he came up with this, uh, this eye, this incredible, you know, the eye formation, the student body left, student body right, and just a quick rundown on that was on October 7th, 1961. Iowa came into their game with USC. Uh, they were the top-ranked team in the nation, and McKay was working with the I-formation up to that time in the young season, but nothing was very successful. And, again, the media was looking from the press box, and they were just laughing. They say, you know, the I stood for incompetence, intolerable, and ineffective. And um, all of a sudden, you know, the Trojans were down 21 to nothing. They came back to score 34 points. They lost by a mere point, 35 to 34, in the closing minute. So the I-formation all of a sudden started to get people's attention, and the ground forces just ate the Hawkeyes up for 220 yards. And this showing quickly took the USC I-formation from incompetent, intolerable, and effective to invincible. It, it was absolutely, absolutely amazing. In 1962, he took the I-formation, and actually the first back to 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 be successful was a man named Willie Brown and not to be confused with the Willie Brown that played for the Raiders he was a running back uh, for USC in 62 the Trojans took the I formation and merged it into what became an iconic union and one of the most revered in the history of college football and they ran off the perfect 12-0 season and won a fantastic Rose Bowl I mean, a real exciting Rose Bowl against Wisconsin to win his first national championship Wow, so so he went had eight wins in his first two seasons, and then they go twelve and zero and win the national championship. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. And you know, and the I formation was in use for over a decade when McKay took over the USC program, and um, it was, but but he just totally perfected it, and and uh, it was absolutely amazing. And, you know, and and he worked them hard. He worked, and they always say, you know, like the USC tailback. Uh, would be regarded as the most coveted and glamorous position in college football. But the work that went into it to earn those accolades, it was filled with grueling punishment and high expectations. Um, you know, you, the, the guys had natural athletic ability, but the hard work at practice was what really drove them. And he taught the tailbacks under his watch at USC to run hard, challenge defenses, and be tougher than anyone who's ever been ahead and being willing to carry the ball 35 to 40 times a game. And in the end, all that hard work paid off as conference and national championships were won with these men just plowing through defenses. And also, on an individual level, the honors piled up in droves, and they were paid for with determination, sweat, and blood. And uh, being a USC tailback was indeed an elite fraternity. And despite the different personalities and running styles that each possessed, every one of them left USC with a lasting legacy that will never diminish. And, uh, you know, you had Mike, Mike, Mike Garrett was truly the free. He was a squat little, little guy, fast, but real powerful. And, uh, he came out of Roosevelt High School in Los Angeles. He was like five foot nine and he just totally blew everybody away. And he won the Heisman in 65. And of course, OJ came, OJ Simpson came in 67. And he played there in 68 and, um, you know, led them to a national championship. He won the Heisman. And, uh, you know, and truly, in all honesty now, if there's any Buckeye fans listening, please, Ohio State Buckeyes, don't, don't jump on Darren too much. You know, for you, for you having me say this on a show, but, um, Archie Griffin 
incredible talent and everything like this, but you know, it seems like that Heisman was, was, was meant for Anthony Davis in 74 and Ricky Bell in 75, but they took runner up to Archie Griffin. You know, that's how some of the voting goes sometimes, but, uh, those two guys were incredible too. They should have won the Heisman. And of course, you know, you had Marcus Allen, you had Charles White, and you had, um, oh, who's the other one? Geez, that's embarrassing. Well, oh yeah, Reg- no, Charles Reg- White, Marcus Reg- Allen. Reggie Bush, but they, well, that, that was that was a long time ago. That that was after that. But you know, John Robinson kind of carried the torch from McKay and wound up with Charles White and Marcus Allen as, as two Heisman Trophy winners, also. But um, you know, the two under McKay were, were Garrett and uh, O.J. Simpson. I was just saying he also. I mean, he had some other tremendous players other than than O.J. and uh, and Garrett too. I mean, he had uh, that didn't win the Heisman and just some, oh yeah, some uh, uh, Clarence Davis. Uh, he won a lot of, got a lot of success with the Raiders later on. Um, very integral part of a Super Bowl eleven victory. But yeah, he had, you know, Clarence Davis and, uh, uh, you know, like I said, Anthony Davis, who to me was my hero when I was a kid. Uh, Anthony Davis was just unbelievable. And then Ricky Bell, explosive running back. And, uh, you know, he played his, he played one year for McKay in McKay's last year and then he finished up his career with John Robinson in his first year. And he was he was an amazing running back also. Cut down way too young. You know, he passed away when he was twenty nine. And um it was a, you know, he had a muscular uh disease that attacked his heart and killed him when he was yeah. twenty nine years old. But um but you know, Anthony Davis was uh I, I never got that excited about a back after those two guys and to, with USC until I saw you know there, there was after after all that you know Charles White was exciting as hell too and of course Marcus had an incredible career but after those guys there was there was a lull there for a while at USC until Pete Carroll took over and then when when Reggie but when I saw Reggie Bush running that ball I told anyone who would listen <laughs> my poor wife also and she had to listen to me but I was I was saying you know that Reggie Bush reminded me so much of Anthony Davis and 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 Ricky Bell all put together, you know, he had he had a little bit of power, you know, but but he was just elusive and just amazing. And he it took me back to those times in the early seventies under McKay. Yeah, you you know when those uh, backs are are good, when it seems like they almost float, you know, like you know Walter Payton and, and you know Reggie Bush and players like that, they just they turn corners and do things that they make it look so uh, fluid. That uh, you know, you or I did it. You know, probably our ankles would break off, and we'd be laying on the ground screaming. <laughs> it's just oh yeah, exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And you know what? Another interesting thing is, Darren. Now I'm, I'm getting a little bit off of McKay here, but but it was toward the end when he was recruiting these guys. Was with when Charles White. Charles White won the Heisman in '79, and you knew who the blocking back was for him. No, it was Marcus Allen. And oh, really? you know, then okay. after. After Charles White won the Heisman and left, Marcus Allen came in in 1980. He ran for, like, 1,500 yards. And then in 81, he just exploded for, like, I believe it was 2,300 yards. You know, he easily won the Heisman that year then. But, um, you know, just just incredible, incredible backfield people. And, and the USC tailback became the, the, the main the main position that people wanted to either see or be. Uh, you know, and it was just it, it, that that was it. If you said you were a tailback from USC, I mean, you you were you probably never had to probably buy a, a dinner or, or anything the rest of your life in Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure because there's still big names today, you know, you know even, uh, you know, no matter what they did afterwards, you know, we all we we on the East Coast know of them. So that, that's oh, yeah. 
with some pretty pretty good stuff there. Now McKay, I mean, it was pretty uh, pretty amazing though. He had the four national championships, and like we were discussing before we came and hit record, uh, you know, he, from the, basically 1960 to the mid 70s, he was the coach at USC. Four national championships, but they weren't all clumped together with one group of uh, kids, you know, playing for him. And he, I have it down 1962, 1967, 1972, 1974. So it's from the beginning of his career, couple smack dab in the middle and, and at the end. So pretty consistent coach. Oh, yeah. And I mean, you know, in between there, he had eight outright conference titles and he tied for a ninth. And beside the national championships, he had 25 of his players reach all American status and 89 achieved all conference honors. You know, wow. in addition to the Heisman Trophy winners, but oh yeah, I mean, it seemed like you know he he would get the championships, but like like I was saying, you know, when, when he when he went and he only won eight games com- combined his first two seasons, he was getting he was something was brewing there, and then you know they just exploded out of the box, and you know won the first national championship for USC since Howard Jones was the coach there in 1939, you know when they won it in 38, 39. And um, so, you know, it was quite a while since since they won it. And all of a sudden, you know, he, you had this, he had this incredible team. And then after that team left, then he started to get other guys. You know, all of a sudden, you know, Mike Garrett was coming in. When those guys were leaving, Mike Garrett was leaving. When Mike Garrett left for the pros, O.J. was coming in. And then all of a sudden, you know, they won that, that 67 title and with some really colorful characters, too. They, you know, again... You know the situation with OJ happened years later when 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 all that broke with the, with the law and everything. But um, Tim Rosovich was on that team. Did you ever hear of Tim Rosovich? Uh, I can't say I have. Why don't you tell us a little bit about him? Oh, Tim Rosovich was one of my favorites. He, he was he, he was on defense, of course. He was an All American and everything. But he was like this total free spirit. And, and you know, he I remember he, he became an actor after that. And he was usually the psycho thug. You know, I remember seeing him on an episode of Charlie's Angels because I was a huge Cheryl Ad fan, still am. So you know, I used to watch Charlie's Angels all the time, and um, he was on there. He played a thug and all, but he would eat glass. He would streak around campus. You know, I mean, he was, and of course, this was in the later '60s. You know, with the Summer of Love and everything. So you know, everything was beautiful then, and you know, nudity, running around naked in public. You know, it was like pretty fashionable at that time. But um, yeah, he was just this this quirky, free spirit guy. And, and they, this team just meshed together, and uh, they had the battle of the century against UCLA in the uh, uh, final game. You know, both teams were undefeated. Gary Beaven won the Heisman Trophy that year, and OJ was going to win it the next year. And um, it was it was just it, it was just an incredible matchup. And uh, I think USC won it 21 to 20 for the right to go to the Rose Bowl, and then they won the Rose Bowl, won the national title. And then, like you said, then after those guys all cleared out, then he started a stockpile it again. And by 1972, he had Pat Hayden at quarterback and his son, J.K. McKay, which he had another, he had another good line with the J.K. McKay. His son was a star wide receiver for, uh, for the school that him and, uh, Pat Hayden went together, were in, in high school and they were very, very successful. And, uh, part of the package deal was, you know, Hayden and McKay were going to come to USC. And they were talking about him recruiting his son. And he goes, well, he goes, I am a good recruiter. He goes, of course. He goes, I had to sleep with my wife to get the recruit. You know? <laughs> so I, I kind of thought that was kind of a cool little, again, with a straight face, he said it like, you know, it was no big deal. 
but you know, and then of course Anthony Davis, and uh, uh, you had Richard Wood. Richard Batman Wood was a linebacker. First three-time, I believe he's probably the only uh, three-time All-American in USC history as a linebacker. And um, it's just an incredible defense, incredible offense. Uh, Sam the Bam Cunningham at fullback, and uh, just and actually, you know, when you talk about some of these great coaches, um, Alabama played USC in 1970. And USC beat Alabama. And Bear Bryant went up, came into the locker room and asked McKay if he could borrow Sam Cunningham for a minute because Sam Cunningham just destroyed his team. He took Sam Cunningham, walked into his locker room with all of his Alabama players who just got beat. And he looked, he goes, gentlemen, I want you to meet something that you haven't seen ever. He goes, this is what you call a football player. You know, and, uh, Sam Cunningham was just a beast. You know, he, he had some very successful years with the New England Patriots, but he was just a he was just a beast. And with with, with uh, him running running crashing through the line, Anthony Davis going to the outside, and it reminded me of a of an earlier version of uh, Thunder uh, Lightning and Thunder, which was you know Reggie Bush was Lightning and Lindale White was Thunder under Pete Carroll. You know, they were. Right. They wrote Juggernaut at that time too, but and then you know of course seventy four there were still some people left over like Anthony Davis, Pat Hayden, J.K. McKay, they were left over. And Richard Wood, they were left over from that seventy two team. Which to me I might be biased, but I think a lot of historians might even say, with the exception of those Army teams during World War II that you know got the cream of the crop and they were just mauling over people that were all four F and everything. That seventy two team was probably the greatest college football team of all time. Hmm, that's that's a big statement. It's a big statement. Yeah, of course, again, you're going to have a lot of people, you know, that are going to chime in on, you know, this team, that team. But it, it was, yeah, I would say maybe not of the more modern era because it, the, the game has changed. You know, it's actually it's more of a passing passing game now and everything. But at that time, you know, you had a little bit of passing and a lot of running. You had, you had – you had a, a basic balanced attack where, again, now you're seeing more and more passing where these guys are lighting up the airways, you know, with, with incredible, you know, what, what they threw for in, in two games, probably a quarterback back then would throw for, you know, maybe five or six games. You know what I mean? So it, it's changed a lot. So you, you could probably say, but if, I think if you compare the eras and you put it all into a computer and everything like that, this, it, again, in my mind, and I'm sure a lot of people are going to be listening, again, ready to hang me from a goalpost, that I think that 72 team was just invincible, absolutely invincible. Could but, they beat a team from today? Probably not. No, but, but probably nobody could. You know, nobody, you know, the great Raiders teams of the 70s couldn't probably beat the Raiders teams of, of this era. It's, it's different generations. There's well, the way the Raiders are playing now, I don't know. <laughs> but different I put my money on take. I'd put yeah. my money on Snake Stabler any day. You know what I'm saying. I mean, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Bigger, stronger. There's more. Uh, there's a lot more offensive uh, strategy that's going on that we didn't have back back then. And people oh, know right. how to beat the I formation and the single wing. And that's why it's always evolving. It's a dynamic game. And that's why it's, that's why it's so great, you know. But the, I guess a real a true test, though, is in their own era – Okay, let's take that 1972 team. So we're back in the era of the AP and UPI poll deciding the national champion, basically, mm -hmm. maybe the coaches poll. Um, so let's put them into the, our new format where we have 12 teams going into a tournament. And 
so go back to 1972 and we have that format. Are the are the Trojans the national champions? Absolutely. Okay. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. I, I um you know I'm trying to I'm trying to go back to you know you had Nebraska which was tough at that time and all. But uh yeah, if you put that in a format like that, I can say without a doubt I could not see anybody overtaking USC that year. I like how you did that though where you you know you say okay, let's take the modern format and put it into, you know, 50 years ago. And yeah, uh I, I I like I mean I personally I like how they're expanding the playoff system and going letting more teams in. I mean I think it's it was a nice progression. You had the you know the you had the BCS and then you have the the four team uh tournament. Now now it's expanding to 12. I think that's probably a better number. It's more on lines with uh, other sports and uh, other other levels of of football, of football your pro football. It's very right. similar to that. And you're taking those best uh, 12 teams in there, let them duke it out, and see who comes out the winner. It's just that, you know, the season now is getting so so much longer. You know, I mean, you used to have just, you know, 10, 11 games, and that was it. And then you'd play, you know, your bowl game. And, you know, when USC, they went 11-0. and They went in, played Ohio State in the Rose Bowl, walked all over Ohio State, and won the national championship. And they were, they from wire to wire, they were the number one team in the country. And... um uh, but but I know what you mean. You know this format nowadays. You know it, it's it's exciting because it's it's naturally it's fan based, and um, you have to have that. You if you don't if you don't change that way, you're going to lose people. And and uh, you know you constantly you know have to evolve. Um, the one thing that I don't like, but I'm getting a little off course here. I don't want to get too far off course. But the thing that I don't like is not now USC UCLA. They're going to be coming into the Big Ten, I believe, in 2024. Mm-hmm. And so they're trying to get these super super conferences now, you know, to, to compete with like let's see SEC and uh, you know so I mean I I just don't like that, you know what I mean? You know I mean you know USC UCLA you belong out west, you know you can't sit down and get excited for a Big Ten game between you know Rutgers and Nebraska or USC and the Rutgers, you know I would because I'm a USC fan, but. Um, I don't know. It just seems that it, it, it's you want to change, but you kind of want to keep things a little bit, you know, for, for uh, tradition-wise. If that makes any sense. No, it, it makes perfect sense. I, 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 I'm sort of on the, the same wavelength as you. I, I don't know that I like the the conferences being torn apart, but on the other hand, I do like it how. They're making the teams uh, play competitive football, the better teams. You know, when you start off the season this year and you have Notre Dame and Ohio State playing, you know, two top five uh, teams playing right out of the gate, not taking a cupcake game against, you know, Division One AA, you know, somebody from you never heard of. I, I right. think that's, that's a great step. And I think that's what I like about the system. But I don't like the breakup of the, you know, the pack. 12 or the Pac-10, whatever they call themselves now, and you know, possibly the, the Big 12, maybe it's on its demise, and what's next, you know, the Sun Belt and some of these smaller conferences get eaten up, and you have, you know, two or three super conferences, and, uh, you know, which looks like it's going to be the SEC and the Big 10 right now, and who knows what else, but I, I don't like that, but I think that you can have these regional matchups that are non-league and people playing each other, you know, like you know, the traditional you know, USC Notre Dame game. That's always a great one to look forward to every uh, the, year. The great glam game. I mean, that that's like the most glamorous 
you know, the glam game. And uh, and I have a quick story about that. Again, if you don't mind. Sure. If, no, if, no, please, I, please. One of, the, one of the most compelling stories I've ever heard, um, and I, I have it in my, my encyclopedia, too, when I saw this. I have a section about, you know, the different the traditions and all. And I do, a like, a quick story about uh, the USC-Notre Dame rivalry. And there was a running back for USC, I'm sorry, for Notre Dame named Mario Mazzanelli. And he was a uh, running back in the, in the later 30s. And he came out to USC, and he, he ran off a 70-yard run, and then he scored on a short yardage touchdown to beat USC. I think it was like 13-6, to 13-7. I can't recall the actual score right now. But he wound up going, he was a sergeant in the Army and wound up fighting in, on Bataan during World War II, and then they had that fame, you know, infamous, I should say, uh, Bataan Death March, where the Japanese overran it, and these these American soldiers had to walk 65 miles, you know, scorching heat, no food, no water, to death camps, you know, so there's concentration camps, uh, I'm sorry, POW camps, and um, he was wearing his Notre Dame ring, and this officer came up to him and took it off, and, you know, just threw it on the ground. And all of a you know, he was to- totally, you know, just, just saddened by it. All of a sudden, he hears in perfect English, and say, excuse me, sergeant. And he turned around, it was a Japanese officer. And he was standing there, and he goes, I, I want you to have this ring. He goes, I know how much this means to you. He goes, I went to USC, and I was at the Coliseum the day you beat us. He goes, I know how much this means to you. He goes, don't let anybody know that I gave this to you. You know, he goes, and please be safe during the war. I wish you the best of luck and, you know, good luck in the service and all. And, you know, Tonelli never knew anything, whatever happened to this man, obviously. But uh, to me, that was a, a compelling story where you had, you know, the heat of the battle. You had, you know, two, you know, opponents, you know, in, in the most vicious competition one could ever think of, combat. And yet... That came out where, you know, USC, Notre Dame, the, the importance of that came out at, at a time like that. And I just thought that was the most com- one of the most compelling stories I've ever heard. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, that's really great. And, you know, the, the commonality of football to, to sort of bridge uh, these, uh, you know, opponents that are on the battlefield to have a moment of uh some some peacefulness, you know, and some right. mannerism. So that's, that's, that's a great story. I'm glad you did tell us that. Oh, thank so, you. So, you know, we've mentioned that book a couple of times. Is this still available for people to purchase? And, and if so, where would one purchase it? Oh, yeah. Now you uh, just go on Amazon and punch in, you know, USC, the, the USC uh, Trojans Football Encyclopedia. Like I said, it came out in 2014, but what I did was I had it set where it covers the first 125 years of the football program. And it has uh, synopsis of every single game ever played. Um, it has, you know, a, a section of uh, the, the the real big names players um, from from the very beginning all the way through, uh, well, up until you know 2014, um, and their biographies, all the biographies of the head coaches, uh, the traditions of the school, and then an and then a, a, a section where they have all the um, uh, different awards that the players won and all and. Uh, I, I had a great time working on it. I enjoyed it so much. Well, you you can tell in just your your passion. You know, every time you're you're saying a segment from it, or talking about Coach McKay, or talking about some of these great USC moments and players and seasons, you can tell the passion that you you really enjoy 
uh, this topic. So, I'm oh, thank you. I, I love it, Darren. I absolutely love it. Well, great. Well, we got a couple minutes uh, left here. So, do you, do you have anything else on, on Coach McKay that you want to share, or any of his teams that uh, you want to share for the listeners? Um, no, I think we, co- we we pretty much covered it all. Um, you know, just his Rose Bowls. Um, like I said, I personally, you know, fell in love watching him. Um, the '72 team was was amazing. The '74 team was was it was an incredible finish in the Rose Bowl. Uh, actually, you know, they they scored and then they scored scored a two point conversion, I believe, to win. I believe it was 18-17. And it, you know, to talk about winning that, they split the national championship with Oklahoma because you know one won the AP, the other one won the UPI. Uh, so they weren't consensus national champions that year, but still, nonetheless, it was just an exciting year. And uh, when when uh, Anthony Davis ran all over Notre Dame, they they were down twenty four to six at the half, and they came out and Anthony Davis scored six touchdowns in that game, and they won fifty five to twenty four. And that wow. was, I remember when I was when I was younger, I put on the TV and, and I looked and I saw it was like twenty four to six at the half. I said, oh geez, you know USC doesn't have a chance. All of a sudden, you know, here comes here comes Anthony Davis and just you know ran a kickoff back and just, it just completely tore tore through Notre Dame. And he was he was still considered even now when he does signings and all, he's considered you know the Notre Dame killer, you know. Mm-hmm. And to be a Notre Dame killer at USC is like you know you're it. And he was a tailback at that. Again, he's he's still revered at that school. Still revered at that school. Huh, that, that is pretty neat. Now, okay, I guess we better talk about how how uh, John McKay ends up leaving. So you know, he had that 15-year career, had a national championship in 74, like you said. And then so 1975 was his last season at USC? Right. They won the Liberty Bowl. They went into the Liberty Bowl. So, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a glamorous way to end, not like a Rose Bowl title or anything like that. But he left after that because the allure of the pros was with him. You know, he achieved so much, Darren. In, in the college level, like we discussed throughout the show. So, you know, like anybody, you know, you maybe want a new challenge. And um, so he went he went into the pros, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were an expansion team that year. So he took over that team, and he had a couple of his players on it. He actually had Richard Batman Wood that was there um, he as a linebacker. He had Ricky Bell on that team. Mm-hmm. and um, But, you know, they were just – and like I said, an expansion team, and they were just terrible. And they lost. They were 0-14 the first year, and then they were uh, 0-12 until they won, you know, uh, a game. So, I mean, you know, they were, you know, they had a 26-game losing streak, and that's when he did that, you know, what do you think of your player's execution? He's like, I'm all for it. <laughs> However, the, the amazing thing was for, from 76 to 77 with that, you know, abomination of, of, of two seasons, Two years later, he took them to the NFC Championship game, and they lost that game nine to nothing to the Rams. You know, so I mean, he took them all the way. You know, he 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 was just one game away from the Super Bowl that year. Wow! And um, so so he he built that team almost similar. When you stop and think about it, it's almost similar to what he did his first couple of years at USC, where okay, he took some lumps. I mean, you know, winning eight games in two years is a far cry from you know. Going on a 26 game losing streak, but it basically was similar to the same way he, he was building that team. And he was getting knocked around. He was like a prize fighter that, you know, was getting knocked around, but he, he was able to get in there and take a few good slugs and win. And, uh, so by 79, he already had that team built almost like a college. You know, how it take, you know, how it, things evolve 
after a couple of years. And um, he just did a fantastic job in 79. And, you know, and he had a few blips here and there. Um, and then he just left the game, and then he passed away in 2001. Wow. That's, that's quite a career. And, I, you know, you had me right on the tip of my tongue. I was going to say that uh, when you brought up about him being, you know, give him like those first two years of uh, throwaway yeah. years, and then he builds a, you know, a championship caliber team. So it's just like he did it. Oh, year yeah. Two. So that, that's amazing. So uh, great coaches know how to do that, and that's uh, know how to turn a program, almost like uh, Dick Vermeule-like. You know, they know how to grab those programs that are struggling and uh, you know, bring them out of the depths. So, oh, uh, you know, you you have John McKay at that school. You know, you have some coaches there throughout the history that, you know, and it's a long and proud history. And, you know, you started off with a man named Gus Henderson, uh, Elmer Henderson. They called him Gloomy Gus because he was always downplaying his team. You know, we don't have a chance. They could have been playing a high school team, and we, we don't have a chance. You know, but I don't know what's going to happen. He was, he, st- he kind of really started the USC um, to, to national prominence in the 20s. And then Howard Jones took over. He, him and Newt Rockney got together, started the, the Notre Dame-USC rivalry, and he built up national championships. And then there was a lull you know, during World War II, and, and after that you had some star players and some great halfbacks. But they didn't really shake any, you know, they didn't shake the foundation of the, of the sport. And then John McKay came along, and then John Robinson, and then, of course, Pete Carroll to finish it up. You know, so, you know, you have the, these, these icons in there, and John McKay is, is, is you know, right, you know, it, it, he, he's, I could like to consider it a, just, you know, a tie between all these guys. You know, if, if you had to pick one of those guys, you know, to, to, in my mind, I think they're all equal. But you know, John McKay stood up because when I started to like college football, it was—it's like your first love. You never forget that first love. You know, um, yeah. you know. So it was kind of like, you know, to me, he stands out alone. But 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 equal, if that makes any sense. No, it make, makes perfect sense. And I think uh, it was a great discussion on him. A great memories of a uh, great uh, coach. John McKay and those USC Trojans from the, the 1960s and mid-70s. So, uh, Rich Smelter, historian, podcaster, author, had probably a bunch of uh, titles I didn't uh, say just say there. Uh, Some that aren't really <laughs> nice. You hear what my family calls me. <laughs> yeah, no, no, but, no, we'll leave that for a different podcast. <laughs> exactly. I just want to say one thing, Darren, before we oh, go. Sure, is, sure. You know, I want to send out want to send out nothing but good good hopes to all the people suffering with uh, Hurricane Ian in Florida. And I hope everybody remains safe down there, and uh, just please be careful down there. Absolutely. It's a bad situation there. So, uh, Rich, uh, thank you for, for coming on tonight and uh, join, and uh, sharing this great uh, legend with us and letting us know more about it and sharing your, your books and everything. And uh, once again, give, why don't you give a title of your, your book and uh, where people can get it again? It's uh, US, the USC, uh, Trojan, USC Trojans Football Encyclopedia. And uh, you can just get it on Amazon. You can just punch punch up Amazon, and uh, that it'll come up. And it'll have it actually has a picture of Reggie Bush against US of, against Reggie Bush against UCLA on the cover. And um, like I said, it was made in 2014, but you know it covers the first 125 years. It covers all the greatness, you know, all, all the great, all the incredible seasons and the incredible coaches that we talked about today. And uh, uh, I. I I I I love it. I, I just absolutely love USC, and I love doing the book. And it was a just a, a labor of love that just continues to grow. That uh, so, sounds like a winner, Rich. Thanks again for joining us, Darren. My pleasure. I, I enjoy being on your show. I'll jump in the pig pen anytime. 
That's all the football history we have today, folks. Join us back tomorrow for more of your football history. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleat Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude. And I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.